0: Hey folks, K.P. Burke here, uh, the host of American Loser. I have had an absolute blast over the last – it's been three plus years now we've been doing this show. And one of the fun parts of the show is I get to tell – first of all, I hang out with my dad pretty much every week. Um, and we tell uh, fun stories from American history. And you guys know the deal. And uh, unfortunately, I had to uh, – a lot of listeners already know because you guys follow me on social media. Um, one of our favorite guests is no longer with us. So, um, the uh, the great Paul Petruno, Uncle Paul, he passed away. Um He went peacefully from what we said. He was remembered beautifully in a great ceremony. Um, His kids and my aunt, you know, uh, they're all – they're they're reeling right now. We're missing the guy. He was funny. Um, He was funny on the show. He was money here, man. Um, Came on for a lot of great ones. Came on for uh, uh, Sacco and Vanzetti because he was our Italian uncle that married into the family. So we wanted to bring (laughs) him in with some other psycho Italians um we brought him in for uh montezuma where he covered and he was uh, a little little too enjoying the stories of a human sacrifice there he was a, a sick dark sense of humor uh and a heart of gold and he loved listening to the show and uh literally if i didn't have that podcast out on a tuesday we always tease um but if the podcast wasn't out by 11 a.m on a tuesday i'd get a text from uncle paul either to say hey where the hell's my podcast and then when he joined the patreon he uh, went ahead and he goes, uh, now I'm paying for this shit and it's late. <laughs> so, <laughs> he busted chops all the time. Uh, he would listen to the episode. He would comment on everything that we posted here. Yeah, um, Always had,
1: one of the first comments. Oh, yeah.
0: Always oh, a joke, too. And uh, just uh, one of the best guys I ever knew. And we're really going to miss him. And I just want to say thank you to the fans who reached out. Because I, I think you guys got an idea of uh, the connection and the energy that that guy brought to everything. And uh, we didn't want to uh, – We want to start off by just saying that to you guys here and then um, Ming's going to edit this beforehand so that uh, then we can properly tell the good story here. But LP, anything you want to say?
1: No, just that uh, there's one guy that had his own unique view on not only uh, American history but uh, on world topics and he's just going to be sorely missed. And we'd like to dedicate this particular episode certainly to Uncle Paulie.
0: Absolutely. Uh, If you guys haven't seen it too, I think even the Kahuna put it up on his social media that uh, that those two clicked right away. Kahuna and uh, Uncle Paulie were fans of each other, Uh, invited him over for dinner a couple of times, cooked for him, so Kahuna Mm -hmm. got to have a home cooked meal, and then uh, from uh, Uncle Paulie, and then Uncle Paulie also painted him, and he has uh, so uh, Kahuna, whose real name we'll say it, guys, is Christian Cordes, our 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 wonderful friend. He has a a painting from Uncle Paulie hanging up in his studio. And uh, I got a couple at my house. And Ming has one in one of his many studios of the great Emperor Norton. Because that was Uncle Paulie's favorite topic. So uh, we're going to miss the shit out of you, Uncle Paul. And just thank you to the listeners for reaching out. And uh, we love you guys. We, We formed a weird little community out here. And thanks for being a part of it, all right? On with the episode.
1: It don't matter what... I try I just can't win And I don't know why There's a fork In every road I pick the wrong one And then I go American Loser Yes I am Disenfranchised From everything I fall up and I fall down merchant loser the day I was born.
0: Hey, folks, it's KP Burke. and uh, of course, my delph of a dad is here with me. Say hello, Dad. Hey, what's going on, everybody? All right, we're have we're live at a shared universe podcast studio. This time, we're back at the Bellworks real yeah, quick. We're so, back,
1: uh, yeah, we're back. Not the, the old home, homestead, but... No, uh, we're
0: digging Red Bank. So at any given moment, <laughs> um, a uh, some sort of a concert could break out. That's Apparently, right. there are acrobats that are training in the background. The Bellworks is chaos. Um, Behind the ones and twos, the Kahuna is not here this week. Um, the Kahuna is uh, protesting this show um, due to misinformation we've put out in the past. So uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> He's <laughs> – Kahuna is actually moving into a new place, so we're happy for him. He's still going to be close to the studio. He's still going to be a regular part of the show. Luckily, we get to bring in a friend here who's going to be our audio engineer. Um, uh, You guys know him, actually. Uh, Most of you guys do know him. A lot of the people, the Shared Universe people certainly know him. Uh, The esteemed uh, Chris Cullen is here with us from Cullen on Film. How are you, buddy? Hello. What's going on? It's good to be here again. Absolutely a-
1: CJ, right? Yeah, yep. A-K-A-C-J. Chris A-K-A-C-J. Collins, CJ Either way, I have whatever. a million names <laughs>
0: That's, uh, Yeah, in Atlantic City, he just goes by John <laughs>
1: <it>. <laughs> In Ohio, I'm
0: just Jersey <laughs> No, man, it's uh, it's good to have you back You helped us uh, do our uh, most recent episode, actually We had the, the great people from the Lafayette Trail on um, So I'm going to get right into it, folks Uh, You guys know we love doing the show. We enjoy uh, doing it all the time. My schedule's a little bit chaotic here right now. I'm going to be heading down to Tampa pretty much right after this episode. I got a full weekend at Side Splitters in Tampa. It's one of my favorite clubs in the country. I will be there. I'm featuring for uh, the Great Lynn Coplets all weekend. If you guys know anybody in the area, push them to come on out, and especially on Sunday because they're letting me close the show on Sunday Mm because you know why? Because Lynn doesn't want to do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she goes, not nah, i leave after Saturday. So, um, But on Sunday, I'm going to be headlining uh, uh, that show down there at Sidesplitters. It's a club I really respect. I love the ownership of and the way that they run the, everything about them. And there's going to be a secret show, guys. Secret show is going to be on Monday in Jacksonville, Florida. So if you're listening to this episode, um, I'll go ahead and I'll say the details. I can't give out the time yet because it hasn't been confirmed. But uh, I believe the location will be Rain Dogs down in Five Point section of Jacksonville. That's going to be on Monday. I'm aiming for an earlier show. I know some of you guys have early stuff you got to get to or you're maybe working on the Tuesday, but it's a holiday weekend. And I'm not in town too often, guys. It's been about – it's been a year since I've been in town. Let's make this happen, man. Thank you, COVID. So come on out. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll be uh, Rain Dogs in Jacksonville on the Monday of President's Weekend. But then the rest of the weekend, earlier before that, you guys can see me over at uh, good old Side Splitters in Tampa. You want to come out to the Sunday one? I'm going to do 15 extra minutes of shit you probably ain't ever heard before. And then Monday I'll be on the Mike to Show. He's the big radio guy down there. He's become a friend of mine, friend of Bobby Kelly's. So we're very excited about that. We have a great episode for you because, folks, it's February. All right, and aside from February being the shortest month of the year, also having possibly the worst weather of the year, Dad, what other footnotes does February hold?
1: Uh, you gotta buy, uh, gotta buy flowers for somebody.
0: Yeah, it's Valentine's Day, right? You know, <laughs> gotta buy flowers for uh, whoever you like that was rooting for the Bengals in the Super Bowl. You know, <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on with that one, but. Uh, there's there's a certain month in history, and it uh it, it, they I've often heard the joke a lot of times from uh, black friends of mine and stuff like of course we have the shortest month you know <laughs> so <laughs> but it is Black History Month and uh, something about Black History Month folks is that uh, it, I mean you can try to take your world studies and your global histories as I have uh, over at the esteemed Brookdale um, Community College um, and we do know some stuff there are some written records and some uh, cool like civilizations that you can study over there but really the the story of um especially um african americans in america you know black people in america is absolutely part of american history they're there every step of the way last year we talked about what was it uh, prince hall who was uh the, you know he was trying mm-hmm. to just start the uh, the Masons he was you know it, the whole thing is this it's always been a I don't know can they can they do that the country kind of feels this way about them and then there's like yeah no we're doing it there's a whole organized thing here it, it's there's no reason to be treated any different than anybody else here and yet the problem seems to persist it always pops up um, the uh, in this particular case though we're going to cover something we like to cover and again I don't want to call it hack because it's all important. But when people hear history, they're always like, oh, let me guess, the Declaration of Independence and then World War II, right? Yeah. You know, do all the hack stuff. Let me guess. Hitler was bad. Oh, well, I knew that already. Well, I don't think you knew about today's topic on the episode here. You probably know who Martin Luther King is. You've probably heard of Malcolm X. Maybe you've heard of Thurgood Marshall. There's a lot of really cool names out there. Our topic for next week is one of the most controversial names in in American history ever, Okay. These guys um, are not controversial as much as they are just lesser known and they shouldn't be that way because right. – I mean you want to say anything? Before? Well, we're about to go into the intro. so
1: Yeah, no. That's – I mean this is – you talk about forgotten history uh, or just put to the side and never mentioned again kind of a thing. They don't even get one line in uh, your US History 1 uh, high school history book.
0: Most things we cover on this show don't. Yeah. That's
1: the problem. yeah. But uh, yeah. when you do a little scratching and uh, go a little deep diving uh, – well, not too deep on this one, but uh, a very interesting topic.
0: Yeah, so to set up the wild chain of events here, the craziest moment I think in American history that um, – I, I mean I wasn't alive for, you weren't alive for, Chris wasn't alive for. <laughs> um, it all happens in one foul swoop. A guy by the name of uh, Gavrilo Princip, OK? is a Bosnian student and a member of an anarchist group called the Black Hand. And Bosnia at the time was having a lot of problems with uh, the country of uh, um, Austria, Austria Austria-Hungary, if you will. Uh, And they had uh, this this kind of royalty kind of a member, a guy by the name of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. And oddly enough, Franz Ferdinand – was going to be very forgiving and trying to build a bridge with the Bosnian people over mistreatment that they had been receiving under the the current administration. But he was part of that bloodline, so they didn't really, you know, uh, delineate
1: like they could. Yeah, a lot of cousins.
0: A Lot of cousins. <laughs> so yeah, uh, like a like a bark fest of sorts. That's right. That's
1: right. They come <laughs> so, out of the woodwork, and if there weren't a cousin, uh, your cousin married him. So. Exa-
0: well, it's also true too. Um, now, he's actually going to somehow, and I will cover this one day when my father's down in Florida because he won't let us cover non American losers. He's too, um, he's, he's <laughs> flag waving Larry over here. But. What's the
1: name of the show? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there's some losers that really, really, really I want to cover. And one of them would be absolutely uh, the assassination of Franz Ferdinand by uh, uh, Gavril Princip. And when he pulls this off, the world goes to war. Almost lightning bolt crashes, and all of a sudden, Europe is a hellhole. And it's crazy, too. France literally was marching with blue uniforms in with a a cavalry still to this thing. And by the end of this war, they're absolutely covered in dirt. And some even argue that the the French will to fight was kind of taken out of them here because they they realize like we have seen total hell. There's always going to be your French resistance. There's going to be your badass legionnaire, But they've seen like this is what we were on the brink of the apocalypse. We've seen it. And we don't want to revisit that, folks.
1: Well, you wipe out a generation that shit might change your mind on i going to war. And as we watched
0: from uh, a couple of documentaries, you and I have seen uh, also the ages of the young men being killed. This is not um, this is not like watching uh, uh, aliens or something where everybody's in their 20s and they're all in great shape. These are young boys. Mm-hmm. These are sometimes as low as age of uh, 14. Some people even sneaking away and lying about their age to join. So Um, Anyway, there's a particular unit we're going to be covering today, and these are the people that – you guys should know, Okay, You absolutely should know here because within a few short years of the assassination of uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, eventually North America is going to have to get involved in a European affair. And that is controversial in its own right because our policy was to always stay out of this shit. Washington was saying, I don't think you guys should do uh, political parties and maybe don't get involved with uh, the affairs overseas. And we're just like, what the fuck do you know? You're just like the father of the country. (laughs) Yeah. So it kind of breaks your heart here. But um, we're going to send a group over, okay? And we've covered this a little bit. There's some loser in here, some good ones, a couple of bad ones. Um, But the boys from North America are going to be getting involved with this overseas affair because we're going to be sending in the AEF, Dad. What's the AEF?
1: The American AEF, American Expeditionary Force. Correct. Now, let's put a timeline on this, though, for for the listeners here. Uh, Ferdinand gets shot. And now the entire all of Europe is now in a world war that became known at that time the Great War. We didn't really put numbers after it just yet because uh, we haven't we haven't yeah. progressed that. Yes, yeah, was
0: pre Lord of the Rings. We didn't know we had a guaranteed <laughs> right. sequel. Right, you
1: know. Right. So it wasn't World War One. It was the Great War. But now you've got uh, all the big all the biggies of Europe. You've got England. You've got France. You've got Belgium. You've got um, Germany, Russia, Italy, um, uh, Austria, Hungary. Um, You've got everybody involved and they're now fighting what would become known as a modern war because now we're dealing with machine guns and, uh, you know – Multiple uh, multiple round rifles. It's not muskets lining up uh, out on a field someplace. The war starts with horse cavalry being brought in and ends with the creation of the tank.
0: That's well, how much shit's going on. Yeah,
1: and, and this is the first war that we now have not only fighting battles on the land and on the sea, but now we're also fighting in the air. So we, our technology has advanced to the point where now we can drop bombs on one another from the air. So you've got the uh, use of mustard
0: gas is going to be put into effect you know, Chemical we, warfare we, for the This is the first closest time. we've come to uh, uh the end of the world. It really is and, and you hear the veterans talk about it and it has to be the absolute worst and the guys we're going to talk about today saw pretty much the worst. So um of all the units that were sent over to France to quote beat back the Hun, that was the big promotional drive for them, beat back the Hun, um kind of trying to Take the idea of uh, you guys are the Romans and you can defeat uh, you know these uh, these awful barbaric Huns over here. There is one unit in particular we're going to be covering today. This unit, by the way, absolutely deserves to be covered uh, on this show, no matter what month it is. We're just happening to choose this month to honor them. So, the unit's very unique. It's a melting pot. So of course it's got to be out of New York, Dad. Right? It's uh, <laughs> the soldiers will be African Americans, Cuban Americans, Puerto Ricans, Liberians. And for places like Portugal and the West Indies. So they will be officially recognized as the 369th Infantry Regiment, but will earn many nicknames during their tour of duty in Europe. Uh, one of the early nicknames we have for them is the Black Rattlers, okay, which is uh, – that's kind of an American nickname. They're trying to be like, yeah, we're going it, to – it's a good fight nickname. It's not It's not the one that you want. Yeah, it's your, it's your uh, school mascot though. It's your fight. So if you guys follow boxing, it used to be Money Mayweather. No, what was it? It was uh, Pretty Boy Floyd Mayweather was his first name. And then when he started making millions and millions and millions boxing, he then became uh, Money Mayweather. So he changed his name, his boxing moniker, if you will. These guys get uh, change their moniker a few times because the people start noticing stuff here. So,
1: Yeah, and it's not necessarily their choice of, of name. It might be given to them by the people that they're fighting. Well, we got a couple of things here
0: too. We got the Black Rattlers is the first one. The French will actually call them the uh, Hommes de Bronze, which uh, I'm working. Julian Etcher from the Lafayette Trail, if you're listening, help me out with my French, OK? All right. I got to either <laughs> that or I got to start watching hockey, um, which – Homestead Bronze means men of bronze after seeing their gallantry in action deep in the trench warfare. And then the legend, though, and on this show, Dad, we abide by the Liberty Valence principle, which means <laughs> it print a the legend. Story.
1: <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> so uh, we're going to print the legend here. The legend, there is no documented proof of this, but it's too good of a story, Chris. It's too good of a story. The 369th Infantry Regiment became a feared unit known as the Harlem Hellfighters. You want to guess who gave them the nickname, Chris? Did Weedy? No, the Germans gave him the nickname. They yeah. called him Hallenkampfs, which means the Harlem Hellfighters. And it's interesting, too, because there's, uh, uh, of course, everybody knows racism and bigotry was nothing new in the American military. That goes – I mean, you want to cover – hell, even the San Patricios. There was a time when uh, the Irish Catholics were considered the no-good part of the military.
1: Right. <laughs> so They were the dirty immigrants. Yeah,
0: it, it just – it's continued. It's always uh, an, an us and them kind of a thing. Very, very weird stuff. But uh, African-Americans not being able to serve in the American Civil War was seen on both sides of that war too, by the way. Um, it's kind of a confusing part of the, uh, the argument here because the union would finally form units like the legendary 54th Massachusetts from the movie Glory um, and others in order to fulfill troop needs. And then also because they, there was – the a lot of it was being championed as a progressive cause and they should be able to fight in a, a war that – in which their freedom is kind of hanging in the balance. And then – the confederate army actually even put together uh they allowed black troops to serve but that was only once they were like all right uh listen shit's not going so good um yeah, how was, do you guys feel about remember when we told you you were uh you, you were subhuman and you couldn't really come in? Oh, come on come on guys come on come on come on <laughs> uh,
1: that was uh, in the final months of the american civil war that uh, the confederates and was uh you know a less gasp kind of a thing that mm-hmm. Um, so many other have already been slaughtered that we need to put somebody into the trenches, and um, that's why they allowed that to happen. But um, yeah, that was the uh, the uh, the Harlem Hellfighters are, are the division, the and they really started out as a um, uh, a militia, state militia. Not militia. I'm sorry, national guardsmen. Correct. And just just the, the fact of that that um, you know, the, the prejudice that was within the Army, um, you, they would allow Blacks to uh, join the Army and the Navy. The Marine Corps at this time wouldn't even accept Blacks as uh, as potential enlistees. So the only choice that a, um, a Black uh, civilian would have is to join the Army or to join the Navy. And if you join those two units, uh, those two groups, you're probably going to be uh, – in a less than desirable uh, position, if you will. Your duty That's, station is probably yeah. going to be uh, um, in the galley cooking or cleaning up or stewards. Uh, for
0: more on that, check out the episode we did on Dory Miller. All right? Right. Exactly. It's a <laughs> guy that uh, literally um, was shooting Japanese planes out of the air but had to be a, uh, a, a you know a deck hall steward, if you will, for um, you know uh, the, the officer's mess. It's, it's not a fair shake. And a lot of people, they still view this way too that um, – Military service is something honorable. And so part of it was you had people who were saying, well, are, are they capable of doing this? It's such an important thing. Can we really take a chance with having uh, you know this experiment of having uh, black people in the military? And then there were other people who were like, no, because this is something for honorable people and they're not honorable. So you have the racism and then you also have the bigotry of low expectations. Both of which obviously are overcome. And this unit today we're talking about overcomes both of those and then still somehow falls into the liner notes of history rather than being as celebrated as they should. Um, they do have a, a, a I think it's an avenue named after them up by Yankee Stadium, which is fitting, you know, to be from the Bronx and everything.
1: yeah, and then um you know the, uh, the the Great War, the First world war, has been going on for a couple of years now, and uh, America was always proclaiming um, neutrality. They didn't want to get involved with European messes. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Woodrow Wilson ran on the ticket of, uh, you know, he kept us out of war. That when he was elected um, for, the, for the second term, it was like, well, yeah, at least he kept us out of war. That we weren't going to get involved. That America really wanted to stay neutral and not be sending their boys overseas. Well, within a few months— after that, uh, that's when things really started going south with uh, the Germans blowing up a lot of uh, um, American shipping and that type of Unrestricted stuff.
0: Unrestricted
1: submarine warfare, the U-boats, baby, mm-hmm. all right? They were good.
0: They were quite good. Um, the other thing, too, that's worth mentioning as well is um, you were talking earlier, Dad, about uh, not wanting to get involved in the war. Uh, we're talking about the racial makeup of the country also at this time, because obviously this this mostly African-American unit is going to experience intense bigotry and racism uh, in a couple of facets. But the racial makeup of America at the time, which is why it was so important to stay out of the war, is because the two biggest uh, ethnic populations in America are – guess what, Dad? German and Irish. German and Irish. So if you're Woodrow Wilson, you say, hey, we're going to go join up because I'm – yeah, Woodrow Wilson, very much an Anglo-Saxon type of a guy here, you know, the former uh, governor of New Jersey, a guy from Virginia. You know, he's definitely got uh, a kinship towards, uh, you know, uh, the way of the uh, the English, if you will. We're going to go overseas and we're going to help England. So now you're telling the Irish immigrants that they got to go fight for the crown they just abandoned 3,000 miles away. And then you're telling the German immigrants you're going to go fight your cousins. <laughs> That's right. So yeah. um, not going to be very popular not, movie. Yeah. But the sinking of the Lusitania, obviously – Spurred on a lot of this. And this is kind of cool, too. In a couple of the interviews that they had with members of the Harlem Hellfighters, they said it seemed like a sent opportunity for us to get involved with uh, this unit because finally you had the chance that not only are we going to get to serve the country, okay, which there are benefits that come with that. There is, uh, the, you know, it's distinguished to serve your country. Um, there's also uh, being in the uniform and being a part of it. And, uh, you know, th- there's a sense of patriotism, too, which I mean, the, the black sense of patriotism is always. Something I'm blown away by because you got to believe it. It's got to come from your heart to do it. You know, it's very easy to sit there and be the douchebag kid. Um, I won't say his name. He, he was, by the way, he was not. Uh, he was just a white kid, a spoiled white kid who used to sit for the national anthem every day in school. You need that brainwashing stuff, man. Would they ever do for you? Now, that kid I want to strangle. But if you sit there and you want to tell me you're like, well, I have a hard time with this country because I've never really gotten a fair shake in it, I'll listen to you. Right. Okay, I'll listen to you. We're going to disagree on some stuff, but I'll listen to you. Um, so if you wanted to serve and you want to serve, and the reason why a lot of these people, a lot of the officers, and even a lot of the guys who are going to serve as just boots on the ground, were saying this was an opportunity to turn the tide of public opinion, where you can finally sit there and say, doesn't matter what your color your skin is, if you want to serve and you show you can serve, you should be able to serve. Not a hard concept, I don't think. That's pretty much what it is, you know.
1: Yeah, um, and and to put it into the to the uh, the times, if you will, too. It wasn't too long. I mean, if we're talking the early 1900s, I mean, the, the First World War, 1914 for for Europe, that type of thing. Um, but 1896, we had a little uh, um, court case, uh, Plessy versus, versus Ferguson. And landmark case. Landmark case. Right now, that established that the Fourteenth Amendment allowed for separate but equal treatment under the law. And Woodrow Wilson is running for president, and he's courting the southern vote, if you will. Well, he's from that, Virginia. Yeah, that that separate but equal stuff. Uh, um, he uh, Wilson orders that. Uh, that even the the segregation now is even within the federal office workers. So he was no champion of uh, civil rights or um, equality and yet he's now going before Congress and he's asking um, uh, Congress to declare war on Germany in, in 1917. That finally he's, he had enough and he wants America to get into the war when he was running on a uh, campaign of uh, he kept us out of war. Now he's asking Congress to declare war on Germany, and the world, he said, must be safe for democracy. That was the big, uh, the big catchphrase. Well, you know, it might, that sounds all great, but uh, what were they really doing for the, uh, for the black community and on the home, on the home front? You know, you're going to make the world safe for democracy abroad, but what about, uh, how about some uh, equality and on the home front? Um, And that wasn't really uh, – that really wasn't going. If the army finally agrees to train African-American officers but it never put them in command of white troops. It's still going to go to that separate but equal kind of a thing which was a bunch of bullshit too because – they weren't so equal. They were definitely separate. They got the first part of that separate, but not so much on the equal uh, equal right. footing.
0: And a, a footnote you and I discussed in preparing for this episode because everyone, you know, we don't wing it up here, folks. All right, we do. <laughs> Chris, we write a term paper every week. It's getting tiring. <laughs> but we were prepping for some work on this. We had to reschedule a couple of times. Uh, you guys understand why um, at this point. But um, there's a couple things I wanted to note. Just number one about Woodrow Wilson. A lot of people want to cast him as like a Klansman type, and there's definitely some bad, bad shit on his resume. There's also a couple of weird things, too, that he was one of the guys who was saying, well, we are going to train these black officers. So it's similar to you want to have a pool to draw from that. If you're going to have black troops, they should have black officers. But you have to have the black officers. You know what I mean? So you have to have them trained. They have to go through the same schools, everybody else. Um, There's some stuff there. There's also a, a current problem. In the NFL, they're talking about right now where there's a lack of minority head coaches, but the pools that they have to hire from is always going to be coordinators, right? It's almost always a coordinator that gets the job. So uh, you have to have the – what they're trying to do now is the NFL needs to have some sort of a program, which they're already talking about putting into place, of incentivizing uh, former players or players from you know uh, African-American or anything else background to start – well, why don't you start studying the X's and the O's of the game so that you can then run a program for yourself one day, college coaches, high school coaches, anything like that. So that it, that was put into place by Woodrow Wilson. So we had some good to him. OK. And again, we've covered this on American history a lot. Uh, whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it, folks. It's there. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> depends,
1: on, depends on who's writing the, uh, if the paper. If you search
0: Thomas Jefferson is the Antichrist, you will have documents upon documents that you could argue with. Um, If you also – I mean but again, we try to focus on the positive here because that's all we got, folks. That's all we got is each other. Um, So Wilson's a complicated figure that way. In the same time, the same time I'm saying that he did put those officers into uh, – officer training uh, programs into effect for what they were referring to at the time as colored troops. Um, He's also the guy that aired uh, Birth of a Nation at the White House and would have it seen all the time. Right. Now, I've heard some people argue Birth of a Nation. If you don't know that film, it's a silent film made in which the Ku Klux Klan are actually viewed as heroes. Now, I'm going to throw to you for a second, Chris Cullen, if you don't mind. I used to teach that. You have to. (laughs) Is this fair to (laughs) say? Not anymore. I've heard some people mention this to me, that it's a modern – at the time, it was a modern marvel because it was a cogent start-to-finish motion picture. Yes. And so you had to respect the technical endeavor of it. But at what point are you like, (sighs) ah. The clan being the heroes is it, a yes, little rough. It favors the clan. I remember that. I saw it in high school. Going, what's
1: going on here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, studied it and studied it.
0: Oh, it, it's pretty wow. bad, man. It's, it's pretty rough.
1: It's, it's pretty bad. But uh, they did make Birth of a Nation was uh, uh, another movie.
0: And it's a Nat Turner Rebellion. So they took right. the name back. So forget yeah, about a- <laughs> that movie. They did. They did. It was a whole thing about it. And we covered. So there's um, a new movie called Birth of a Nation
1: about the Nat Turner. Yeah,
0: I forget where it was that we wound up covering Nat Turner because he turned. A lot of public opinion on them became fear based because of his. So his rebellion might have hurt as much as it helped. It's such mm-hmm. a complicated history. Um, but th- thank you for throwing that one in there too. Yeah. Check that out. Man, it's worth watching. The, uh, the big. Uh, the, the big thing we got to cover here, LP, and before I jump in, anything else, because I'm about to talk about their training. Um, you were mentioning, too, about having some black officers. Obviously, it would be a faux pas for – and by, also, I'm thinking about this, too. was uh, – um, I think my, like more than half my chiefs in the military were uh, when I was in the Navy. My, my first chief was uh, uh, Dedrick Walker. who's was a master chief now, um, black guy from Arkansas. And it was like that's my favorite thing about the military is nobody ever gave a shit about it. right. it's like like all right, but do I like this guy? That's right. the only question you asked, you White, know, like
1: black, purple, whatever, as long as he's doing the job. Yeah, the, the joke was that the
0: color is blue, <laughs> so <laughs> right. navy blue, right? <laughs> yeah, so that that's the thing I loved about it. you got to meet people from all over the place, and I knew some people too in boot camp. Just a personal note, uh, there was this one little guy who was talking. About. He goes. Uh, and he looked like—I swear to God—he looked like Marvin the Martian without a helmet on. All right, <laughs> his name was—I don't want to say his name actually. No, nah, need. No need. But he used to come. Kind of, he used to have the big glasses on. And he would say, "He goes, oh, I, I used to be racist, but then I've just—I've just been around so many people; it just changed me. It just changed me." And I was like, in a weird way, what he's saying is beautiful. <laughs> yeah,
1: <right>. <laughs> <laughs> but. This yeah, but anyhow to get back to the story here. The unit here, has
0: to get trained.
1: <laughs> um yeah, they're going to have to be trained. Finally now. I mean, things are heating up in Europe and Not it, even heating up. It's it's on. Dude. It's it's definitely on. It's, we're in the, in the midst of of trench warfare with people gassing one another. There
0: are uh, empty ski- uh, seats in every high school in Europe uh, right, right now. Their um, young
1: men are off to war. Um being um Artillery bombardments, the whole terminology of being shell-shocked. I mean it, it, it's, it's brutal. It's brutal, brutal. But it's becoming obvious that eventually the United States is going to be drawn into that. And after much prodding um, from some uh, um, locals, if you will, in the Harlem area, um, some civic leaders – prodding the uh, New York governor, Governor Charles Whitman, they finally are allowed to um, form a National Guard unit, the 15th New York National Guard unit. That's primarily drawing their people from Harlem. At that time, there was like uh, of the 60,000 people, blacks living in Manhattan, probably 50,000 are in Harlem. So, I mean, it Harlem is undergoing a not just a renaissance just yet, but it's, it's, it's a movement kind of a thing. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely on in, in Harlem. So anyhow, they raise these – and it's not just Harlem, but you know New Jersey sent some people over. There was some people from Westchester County and everything else. But it's primarily New York that is now forming this 15th New York um, National Guard unit. And they are allowed to form – they don't have an armory – so I mean, the, the training even started back in the National Guard days. They don't even have their own armory that they're, they're practicing and training and drilling and stuff um, in some hall in uh, in Harlem. Um, but they are finally called up. America's in it. Wilson asks for Congress to declare war on Germany. It's on. So now we're in the middle of uh, trying to form an army um, that nobody really had the forethought of, you know, if we start going, picking a fight with the with uh, Germany and her allies, maybe we better have some pe- people prepared. Well, that didn't happen. We were ill-prepared to go to war. Um, they do appoint um, one of their best generals by the name of uh, John Pershing. John Important Pershing. Important guy in the yeah, story here. Important guy in the story. John Pershing. Um is sent over to France before America declares war on Germany just to kind of get the lay of the land. because again, they're they're coming to the realization that we're going to get drawn into this thing. So we better send one of our guys over there to scope things out and figure out how how we might uh, insert ourselves into this European war. John Pershing is, uh, you know, served time in the um, Spanish-American war in Cuba made a name for himself down there. He also fought with a or, – or was a leader, a commander of a black unit, the 10th Cavalry, uh that became known as the Buffalo Soldiers. This was an all-black unit um, out west when they were fighting – still fighting the Indians back in the late uh, 1800s. Um, John Pershing – comes back well, uh, do me a favor and let me tell how he when, got his when nickname? you get to the bad
0: part yeah <laughs> okay uh, we have to be careful now because in this society right um and, and in the, the cancel culture, you can't cancel my father who's a retired school teacher all right <laughs> i hope you won't right. try to cancel me but we're going to carefully 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 Like i i, I want to do this uh you want to speak frankly which is how it is and yeah. unfortunately we can't anymore
1: and we can't use the terminology of of that day. Correct. In the present day, but anyhow, he serves with the Tenth uh, Calvary, the, the what we became nicknamed the Buffalo Soldiers, um, and he comes back to West Point to teach, and a lot of his fellow officers give give John Pershing the nickname. So the soft version of it would be Black
0: Jack Pershing, which is how he's remembered in the history books, folks. Uh, the nickname, when it is applied as the intended insult some of these people meant, was to then refer to him as – insert word here, Jack Pershing. So, N-word. You know, yeah. Yes. Um, you guys know exactly what we're talking about here. Kahuna is not here right now, but
1: somewhere he's just raising his fist
0: up at the sky saying <laughs> –
1: <"Rrr." laughs> so, Yeah. Um, his fellow officers would get, call him N-word Pershing. Um, and then um, the newspapers, when they were trying to publish a report about who is now um, some of the military um, instructors at West Point, didn't want to print that. So it was actually the media that gave him the nickname Blackjack Pershing, where his uh, fellow officers and stuff weren't quite so politically correct to call him Blackjack Pershing. It's, but anyhow, uh, he's sent over to France to get the lay of the land, kind of a sh- thing.
0: Loserception prior to that. What? Who's he hunting, Dad? Who's Blackjack Pershing hunting?
1: Loserception. Oh wow! Well, I mean, in Cuba, he was fighting the the Spanish. In, he was pretty in Cuba. cool here,
0: but maybe he's taking. Oh,
1: it. oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he was going after uh, right prior to the First World War. He's uh, hunting. He's about to the, get it, folks, for the bad he's guys stalling. in Mexico. He's looking for the word and. Uh, he knows the answer. Not Jose Cuervo. That's the tequila. We're all hunting for <laughs> Jose Cuervo, Dad.
0: No, he went after the great Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa. That's correct. So right. he was hunting for Movie him. Movie star
1: Pancho Villa. And who did he bring with
0: him? Loserception again. Oh, yeah. Um, Blackjack Pershing's right-hand man.
1: I think you like this, Chris. And also came into the tank, the armored division. Um Fellow by the name yeah, of Pat George, George Patton. <laughs> so we got a couple loose receptions yep. in there
0: for you, just off the bat. So we
1: got a lot of people uh, getting um, getting a little experience with that great European war, the the the, uh, the great war. But uh, anyhow, Pershing is
0: overseas now. Correct, he's landed overseas, that plane,
1: and he's overseas by direction of President Woodrow Wilson, and. The British and the French have been slugging it out for years now and they're, they're absolutely getting slaughtered with the amount of you know people killed and uh, annihilated and of course with the hopes that when the America gets into the war, um, we're going to be able to refill the ranks, the British ranks and the French ranks with American troops. So they would come under the direction of either British generals or French generals, Um, Pershing and and Wilson, there was no way that we were going to send American boys and be led by either the French or the British. We were going to be the American expeditionary force and we're going to lead ourselves and, and fight as our own separate. Um, entity, if you will, not be blended into the rest of the troops. Right, um, and of course, early on, uh, you know, we're ill prepared, we're ill trained, we're, uh, we're we're <laughs> we got nothing really, and we're just hoping to send stuff overseas by slow moving ship. That slowly, we're going to be able to develop up and build up our our forces before the Americans get into the into the fight. And lo and behold, just at this particular time, Russia now declares they're out. Well, the whole Russian revolution comes about and now they're out. Well, that means all the troops that Germany had on the Russian front can now be rushed forward into the the uh, eastern front, right? Um, or the, West, the western front, all is quiet on the western front. So now they're – Germany is going at it with a renewed vigor that maybe one more offensive, one more big push, and we're going to be able to win this thing rather than slugging it out back and forth um, fighting for hundreds of yards at a time in this whole trench warfare kind of a thing. Uh, Hundreds is ambitious too
0: when we really talk about it. So uh, a lot – I mean France is in total hell here at this point. There's still parts of France you can't walk around to this day for fear of uh, things blowing up on you. To give a change – Actually, you give a date real quick here. So it's about 1917, and this uh, this change is going to come into effect. It's actually going to help one of the uh, – it, it's so weird. It's um, it's a, hey, why don't you take a step forward, but we're kicking you, uh, you know, with our boot in the ass to make you take the step kind of a thing. So a lot of African-Americans were being turned away at recruitment stations because, oh, they were undesirable. That's going to change when the government passes the Selective Service Act of 1917, which is essentially where – um, everyone you know, from the age of 18 to 30 has to register to be eligible for the draft um, to serve your country in a military capacity. So they knew that the need was real for men and the men who are going to be mustered into these units knew that France is just a boat ride away. Like you said, dad, um, the majority of Europe have been at war for years now and the Americans are hoping that their presence could hopefully end, you know, we'd like to end this war. It's been going on for a while. When it's done, we're going to call it the war to end all wars. And well, it was for a minute, you know. Um, but uh, the unit is mostly from New York here and they have to get trained before you can send them over there. That's the whole thing. Their initial train is going to take place in New York state. So it's kind of familiar territory for these. A lot of these guys are going to be city kids. that have never moved out of the city before. And keep in mind, they're a generation removed from slavery, a lot of them. So um, the, these are people being born free uh, in a lot of ways for the first time. And you're talking about great migrations, people having to leave because the South was so inhospitable to them that they aimed for a renewed life in New York City here. Uh, a lot of them had never left New York City before. That's another thing you hear about in these journals that these guys kept. But their combat training, oddly enough, is going to be almost a reverse great migration. So they're going to go from a uh, melting pot, still racist, everything's segregated, but it's a little bit easier, New York, right back down to uh, South Carolina that – as much as I love that state and as many great people as there are out there, there some of the more barbaric practices of slavery were regularly seen down there. That's where
1: the American Civil War started. Also true. One, one shot fired.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but anyway, this story is worth noting here is that while they're down there um, for this combat training in South Carolina where they were actually recreating the trenches in France that these boys were going to be going to see, um, the troops were training to fight for America overseas and put their lives on the line – and yet, these boys who are going to later be named the Harlem Hellfighters are still experiencing racism. One such story involves a pretty outstanding human being. I'll give you a focal point. Our 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 vision, you know, our point of view character for this little section here is uh James Reese Europe. Now, Europe is fascinating, because first of all, I never met anybody with the last name Europe. That's pretty cool. That's ballsy to give yourself a whole continent. Um <laughs> but uh to, to be from Europe and then to be a black guy is kind of funny too, you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, Europe is an officer, which was tough to come by in the military ranks. But the reason he was able to do so is because he was an outstanding musician and one of the leaders of the Hellfighters Band. And the Hellfighters Band, by the way, would put on these acclaimed performances. We'll
1: finish on him here at the end. I'll yeah, tell you let me, what. let me just jump in here real Please quick. Do. Because Governor Charles Whitman, New York Governor Charles Whitman, finally allows – this uh, formation of the Fifteenth New York National Guard. America is now in in the war. That National Guard unit is now in the regular U.S. Army. Um, when that unit is formed, Charles Whitman appoints his campaign manager, um, a guy by the name of uh, Hayward, to um, be the leader of uh, of this new um, this new unit. So, William Hayward. Who's a white attorney uh, and a former Nebraska National Guard colonel is now the commander of this uh, um, this Harlem unit, um, a predominantly Harlem uh, unit, Um, and now they're sent down to South Carolina for training. Um, But again, it's not a mix; it's that whole separate but equal kind of a thing. But the separate. The separate part? Yeah, absolutely. Equal? No, not so much because whatever yeah. whatever facility uh, they required, they had to make it themselves. They had to build it themselves. There was nothing there. They were on the outskirts of that army uh, post, if you will, in South Carolina so that they would not intermix with the uh, the white units.
0: And so you're seeing the racism uh, up front and obviously apparent here. And again, this one particular story is the one that, that – it pissed me off when I read it because – you look at a picture of James Reese Europe, and you're looking at a guy, and you're just like, "Well, that's a guy that's like a lawyer or an accountant or something." You're looking at this guy, and he's just he. There's no way that that guy carries himself in any way other than a gentleman. So um, he's a uh, uh, you know got glasses on, and his one picture in the uniform there, and he's this acclaimed musician to the point where he's leading the Hellfighters band, um, and more on them here in a second. But
1: yeah, well, that. Hayward, the the commander of the unit. We didn't even introduce him yet. I just did. <laughs> There's a side note too to him, but keep going. Yeah, but he he's the guy that was really credited with bringing uh, Europe into the uh, into the unit because, you know, that whole patriotism thing about we're going to join up and beat back the Hun and all that all that stuff. Well, not so much in the black community. I mean, some were saying, yeah, this is going to be a great opportunity to show the world that we are. Um, we are equal to uh, all the other units. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there was a lot of um, people that were saying in the, within the black community, what has this country done for me? that, that I'm, not, I'm not so eager to join up for somebody that's always trying to put me down. He felt that by having a very um, well-known and respected guy, um, James Europe, in the unit – would then allow more recruitment. So he was he was brought on to help recruit and was very influential in drawing more members into the unit. You're a short
0: period away from the roaring 20s and uh, jazz music taking over the world, if you will, and the whole Cotton Club thing and everything that's coming as well. So it, there's a lot going on. Music is definitely the way that the culture is expressing itself. So, and again, there's a real need for all these people here. So um, you would think that there would be some gratitude on behalf of uh, the people who are maybe, hey, my son's not going over to fight or I don't have to go over to fight because there's other people going here. And uh, Lieutenant James Reese Europe, again, an officer here, uh, is attempting to walk into a hotel shop in South Carolina and simply buy a newspaper. All right. This is not um, – is not like somebody late at night who turns you away from a bodega because you always try to pay with pennies to get you, you know a, a drink <laughs> yeah. this isn't something like that it isn't like oh i know you're buying this because you, you're trying to you know swipe this when no one's looking um this is an officer this is an officer in the united states military who is walking into a, an establishment to buy a newspaper and he is refused based on the color of his skin and that's unacceptable that's <laughs> and by the way it's not like a thing where uh, people be like, oh, yeah, back then there were, just, there were people who were outraged it was happening back then. And uh, so it was really cool because in a show of unity with the military, um, there were some troops up there that were getting ready to maybe cause a problem with this hotel shop owner and their lieutenant. And by the way, the people who were there, the troops are there. It's a mixture of uh, everybody from you know, the, the soon-to-be Harlem Hellfighters. There's also some white troops that are involved in this too. We're like, hey, you can't be you – know, what do you mean you're not going to serve an officer? That guy that guy's an officer. You know, There's also some other quotes too about other places that were um, turning away business from black soldiers. Uh, white soldiers were boycotting them saying, well, you ain't selling to my friends. You're not selling to me, man. So all of a sudden these businesses are starting to feel the pain of that. We're like, all right, well, I mean maybe we should have just sold the guy a newspaper. But to his credit, Lieutenant James Reese Europe is actually the guy who calms the fires of this one thing and says, let's – let's cooler heads prevail here, guys. We're going to move on before anything else has to happen.
1: Yeah, and, and – um, just um, a short time before this incident uh, in South Carolina, there was a major riot where people died in uh, in Texas over the same the same um, um, turmoil that. Uh, you know, you got um, black troops mixing in with the with white troops, but it's really more the locals, the townies, if you will, that's really causing that this whole this whole riff of not selling. Uh, <laughs> this would be where if
0: Kahuna was here, he'd be going into one of his tangents where he puts on the most offensive Southern accent he can and tries to <laughs> Yosemite Sam his way through what these people. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, luckily, Chris Collins here, so we can save that three minutes, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the unit's commander, like you said, Dad, is a high-level name amongst the New York elite here. He's an interesting guy. Um, now, his name is William Hayward, like you said. Um, he's a member of a specific club, by the way. You want to talk about a high society club in New York? What you, you don't want to do this? <laughs> no <laughs> he's a member of the union club okay and if you want to look up the members of the union club folks yeah Loserception. reception lose reception there many lose receptions now you think i'm going with the bad one dad but i couldn't prove it so i didn't do the bad one okay i will say this however you know who else is a member of the union club in new york city teddy motherfucking roosevelt oh, okay <laughs> That's right. Many other uh, uh, presidents too, as well. I believe um, it wouldn't shock me if Woodrow Wilson was, Chester A. Arthur was. So he's coming from this very elite club of the, the, the you know, the big, um, the, 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 the big Kahuna's, if you will, of yeah. uh, <laughs> New York. He's City Politically society. connected.
1: Let's leave it to that point. Absolutely. Right?
0: And Absolutely. by the way, a little tie-in too. He's a Nebraska boy originally. So how's he getting involved in all this stuff? Well, in an ROTC program out in uh, the University of Nebraska, he served as a cadet—a cadet, uh, cadet rather—under John J. Pershing, who will become known oh, as Black Jack Pershing. Okay. okay, who is now the head of the American Expeditionary uh, uh, Forces overseas. So he, by the way, um, is not going to be someone who is taken aback by the insults that were thrown to uh, Black Jack Pershing of uh, commanding black troops. He doesn't care about that. He's not going to allow that to, to dictate what he's going to do here. So uh, Hayward, like Pershing, undeterred by the slurs of the uninformed, will take a commission as the colonel of the soon-to-be-named Harlem Hellfighters, who will then depart for Europe. OK, so finally the, the, they're on their way over to Europe. These black troops are getting a chance, mostly black troops. I want to be inclusive of everybody. You know what I mean? Because uh, I it, will get, I got Puerto Rican cousins. They're going to get mad at me. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, Jonathan. Um, but uh, – Anyway, uh, so they arrive over in Europe and uh, finally, here's your chance to fight and prove yourself or we're going to put you guys in labor camps and it's going to look like you're back on – I hate to say it. I hate to say it. It's going to seem like they're back doing plantation work.
1: Yeah, and and, and an additional insult. um, They've now been trained. They were in South Carolina for a brief time because of the local – we'll be polite and call it friction with some of the locals – they're taken back up to New York and they finish out their their training in New York and now they're going to be put on a well, there's a big parade in New York City for the the doughboys for our boys going to, you know to wish them well as they go off to fight the war in Europe um, and that big parade, that farewell parade in New York um, actually the. Uh, the New York's National Guard unit—they're uh, not allowed to participate. You can't even get sent off, right? They can't even—they yeah. can't even participate in the parade to send them off to go, perhaps fight and die for their country, over in Europe. And the, the uh, that parade was to be made up of the so-called Rainbow Division. That was the name of the division that was now being honored with this parade to send over there, but they weren't allowed to be part of the Rainbow Division. Colonel Haywood goes nuts and he's like um, firing off to all these army uh, personnel as to why isn't why isn't my unit allowed to participate in the Rainbow Division Parade? And,
0: and they're probably getting salutes to him because he's a white officer and they find out that it's of black troops and it's like, oh, one yeah, of those kinds of right. things. I didn't mean to cut you off though.
1: But uh, the reason Hayward is, was given that uh, his his unit was not allowed to participate, uh, well, black is not a color in the rainbow. Ugh. Uh oh man, <laughs> I mean, Kahuna is literally uh, Kahuna just dropped. When a I read that, and I mean, like holy crap. Are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, these guys are willing to die for their country, and you can't even you can't even have them participate in the in the friggin' parade on in the send-off. Yeah. Well we're gonna land this plane shortly
0: here, because there's a couple things we gotta note though. Pl- plenty of time, like yep. plenty of time, but um the unit will find itself actually, because they they do not know what to do with it over. The United States is not sure what they wanna do with some of the leaders are kind of giving it a hard time a little bit here. And it gets to the point where they're not sure what the future of the unit's going to be. So the American Expeditionary Forces actually say, you know what we'll do? We're going to loan this unit out to the French army. So you're actually going to go and join up. You will be assigned to the French army. And by the way, the French army, whether it be – it's very ironic how this one works. The French welcome them with open arms. And a couple of reasons for it are interesting. Number one – Everybody that they had had gotten decimated. These young men of age, 10, 15 years in the, the, the trenches, um, they're desperately in need of the people. This is coming under that original plan you had, Dad, which goes against what we wound up doing with the American Expeditionary Forces, that now these ranks are just being absorbed into the French army, if you will. Right.
1: So, but but that, was, that was only the only unit... Correct. ...that was allowed to go fight with the French. Right. Now, ironically enough... Another
0: reason why the French had an easier time in absorbing them is because uh, France was so um, – due to their own colonization, had a rather um, – a large diaspora of what would be considered French. There was French Algerian and there were French uh, Liberians. There was uh, – they had all sorts of people from all over the place. Parts of Africa would would be considered – they would speak French.
1: A lot of the French colonies were now sending men – to fight in Europe. So there was a uh, a large population of uh, people of multicolors um, fighting with the French already. So they were absorbed. Correct.
0: Moroccans as well. Oh, That's right. all the stuff in there. Right. So because of – oddly enough, because of colonization, which is viewed as in some circles as the, the great evil of all time, um, is the reason why they're able to absorb them here. And by the way, uh, the musicians are definitely having an impact too because – you can actually give credit. It's is 100% true. You give credit to um, the Harlem Hellfighters for introducing the French to jazz.
1: Yeah. That, what what happened with uh, James uh, Europe is that he forms this regimental band. Uh, Hayward remembers that back in his day in, in uh, Nebraska, they had a regimental band and he asks James uh, Europe to um, form their own regimental band. And uh, you're taking um, some of the, the best of the best uh, black musicians um, throughout the country. But, I mean, Harlem is undergoing uh, its renaissance, if you will. So he's getting some absolutely world-class people within this army uh, regimental band. And now they're performing over in Europe. Um, um I believe Europe sustains um, his own wound, which did did not allow him to fight in the front lines. But he was still um, called up to duty but not on on the front kind of a thing. So that's why he was placed in this thing and um, we're now performing for the French people and for other army units, be it – british or or american or whatever but uh it's
0: a really cool cool quote from him too if i can i don't know if you're going to get to it but it was about the style of music it's a good one it, it's from again this guy james europe that we're we're kind of using as our point of view character here this is a great quote because uh, it's so true today especially just after the halftime show that we just had as well um and it's uh <laughs> it's pretty cool he says something along the lines of uh I really feel like the reason why we were so successful in France and so uh, it, we were a must-see act, if you will, is because we were playing from a black perspective because colored folks just – they they have a different um, uh, rhythm and style to them. So we would – if we do white music the way white musicians are playing it, he goes, we would be a poor imitation of that. We should really be ourselves and explore the music that way and – Absolutely, that statement is by the way. This is the reason why he's considered the Martin Luther King of uh music, they, they say that about him all the time. Um, but that style of music, the way that uh, you know, black musicians will start to play, that becomes them developing the sound is because they sat there and like, Well, we don't want to play it just like that, we're going to be a shitty version of it. Let's do our own thing and be true to ourselves while still honoring and playing you know the, the music that we've heard before, and all of a sudden. We got things like the blues that was already out there right. you got stuff like jazz that's coming out there which is eventually going to lead into rhythm and blues which leads into hip-hop which leads into rap so I think they took the advice and ran with it yeah, I think
1: <laughs> it was a game it was a game changer and the for the, the for cult, sure. pop
0: culture is better for it so um anything else you want to say on uh, uh, Europe here because eventually I want to get into the actual combat these guys saw because it's it's intense
1: no that's uh I mean we could go on we could go on and on and we could make a uh, James uh, Europe a uh an American loser by himself. But well, uh,
0: afterwards he becomes, I mean, he's, he's really the, the band leader King. Right. Up in I Harlem. Mean,
1: the, the fame, uh, that he bought to that unit and that was carried back, um, um, after the first world war is over, but, uh, we can, we could really need to get into the rest of the unit too, because they were a lot more than just a regimental band. I mean, it wasn't a, a lot more than just a bunch of black musicians that were mm-hmm. really, uh, kicked it in jazz mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, that, that type of thing.
0: That's the positive note. Now we got to get into the negative here. So again, the unit is – they're assigned over here to uh, the French army. Welcomed in with open arms for the most part because we're just happy to see anybody. You know what I mean? Um, now one tour that these guys are on because the men are welcome with open arms. But unfortunately, that also means that they're about to see plenty of that combat. They had previously been uh, kept away from uh, by force. And uh,
1: Yeah, they felt themselves um, pretty fortunate because – All the black units um, wanted to get into the thick of things, but were not allowed to, if you will. Um, They were given menial tasks or off uh, labor, um, just manual labor type things. Uh, Glory
0: does a great job with that too. That why not the fifty fourth? Right. You know, give them hell, fifty fourth. Right. One tour that these boys are on. All right, where they're going to start earning that nickname, the the Men of Bronze from the French. All right, and then the Harlem Hellfighters is going to be their other nickname. One tour leads the boys of the Harlem Hellfighters to six straight months out in the trenches. That is a six-straight-month patrol out there. No backup. Nobody else is coming out for you. That six months you might not be showering. That six months of shitting in a – literally, by the way, this is how you had to shit in trench warfare. Right. If you were lucky – What they would do is they would set up a giant log and you'd sit down on the log and shit on the other side of the log. And then other guys would be sitting alongside you. And as we covered in that movie, the great uh, um, uh, (laughs) – I can't believe I'm blanking on the name of it. Uh, uh, The the black and white movie that uh, Peter Jackson restored, uh, the World War I flick. It was incredible. 19. Well, He did 1917, but it was the documentary that he did first that was the black and white one where he restored the footage. Oh, yeah. It was an absolute game changer of a movie for me. He tells a story about one time that you're shitting there, literally shitting there on a log and there's too many guys on the log and it it, the log breaks. There's no laundry service coming out there. You're wearing your own shit for a couple of days. Right. Maybe you got a uniform to change into. These guys are out there for six months.
1: It'll all blend in with the mud anyhow. So.
0: That's what happened. The, the original uniforms of the French Army were blue, and they developed the the camo look by the end because you just couldn't get the mud out. Right. Uh, the Harlem Hellfighters were out for six months.
1: 191 six. days in combat, longer than any other American exactly. unit in the war.
0: 191 days. And by the way, Dad, what are the losses? You got the numbers up, right?
1: Um, I'll tell you this. They suffer look, the worst I gotta losses. I got to rustle more papers to get <laughs>
0: <laughs> They suffer the worst losses. So it's 100, 101, ugh, 191 days in combat. Okay. On the front lines, the worst of the worst. And they will suffer over 1,500 losses. Among their ranks, one will earn the Medal of Honor. There will also be many. They even just said – they didn't give me the number. They just said numerous Distinguished Service Crosses awarded these troops because they're in the worst shit possible. Okay, and and you want to know too? We talked about it. Uh, the argument we had uh, a couple of years ago on the show—not an argument, but a debate—we had with a couple of guests. Who would you give credit to as the first Black Medal of Honor winner? And one argument was it should be this guy because he was awarded it first, and the other one was uh, he was awarded it later, but it was for actions that predated the other guys. Um, William Harvey Carney is the one name that we had on there. Who is, by the way, involved with the 54th Massachusetts. He's the guy who picked up the American flag so it wouldn't fall um, during the assault uh, down in South Carolina. However, this guy's story is pretty interesting. And before I get into that, the Harlem Hellfighters, six straight months out in the trenches, longest deployment of any unit in World War One, the biggest losses of any unit in World War I.
1: Also the first allied unit to reach the Rhine River. They got in the shit, baby. Because yeah. in France, it was a
0: game of inches. It really was. They finally get into there. Um, now... They're also performing at such a high level that Germany – Germany kept amazing intel notes. They were so organized. And the one thing that they were noting was um, that – first of all, the Americans they described as uh, suicidally brave and these are the best marksmen we've seen. And that's because you're getting country boys that were shooting squirrels for dinner, OK? Um, and suicidally brave. And that's going to fall in there too with these Harlem Hellfighters because they're putting up a hell of a fight, man. Um Germany, in fact, launched a propaganda campaign that started to send stuff to them saying, you know, you guys, Germany never enslaved you. Really, you know, the real oppressors were actually the Americans. Why are you fighting for the Americans? Germany never did anything wrong. Come fight for Germany. We'll, we'll beat up those oppressors of yours together. They'll never consider you an equal. Germany will treat you as an equal. And to their credit, nobody defected. All right, because if there's one thing the black community and we absolutely will always need the black community for this, they know when something's phony. All right, whether you're trying to pass off a, a, a you know what it, you will get called on it. Okay, you need black friends in your life. If you if you're not black, you need black friends because they'll call you when you're full of shit.
1: All right? It's <laughs> very important. Yeah, the bullshit alarm will as, go off. As early I told on. my buddy
0: Shea Clemens, one of my uh, my buddies, the comic I started with down there, he goes McDonald's and McDonald's, KP goes two different restaurants. We ain't tell you about the other one yet, <laughs> but. This one, uh, as we're landing the plane here, um, I know, uh, Chris, you got to get out of here. There's so many people in this unit that could get an episode onto themselves. Europe is a guy because he's the biggest name. He's he's kind of uh, um, the band leader, for lack of a better term here, the whole thing. But perhaps the most celebrated man in the 369th Dad is Private Henry Johnson from Albany originally who was a a rail station porter. So even though he had a job on the railroad, it was as a porter. You know, now it's kind of a menial thing here. He earned a pretty good nickname, though. They called him Black Death for his actions in combat in France. All right, I pulled this off of uh, uh, a source. Maybe it's Wikipedia. (laughs) I know our one listener gave us a hard time for that, but this is too good. In May 1918, Johnson and Private Needham Roberts fought off a 24-man German patrol, though both were severely wounded. Johnson instructed Roberts to warn the French units of the approaching patrol, but Roberts returned to him after the Germans opened fire on their position. They battled together until a German grenade incapacitated Roberts, at which point Johnson made it his mission to hold the line and protect his fellow soldier. After they expended their ammunition, Johnson battled with grenades, then the butt of his rifle, and finally with a bolo knife. Reports suggest Johnson killed at least four German soldiers and maybe wounded as many as 30 others while he personally sustained 21 injuries. Over 100 men from the 369th were presented with the American and or French decorations. Uh, and among those honors, uh, Johnson – I already went French. Johnson was the first American to receive the Croix de Guerre, all right? Which Croix I'm de Guerre. Quite, you, you looked it up. I heard you listening to it in the other <laughs> – <one. laughs> This guy, uh, I mean, it, it's it's a story. It's a Chesty Puller type story, right? Yeah,
1: and that that award from the uh, French uh, government was one of the highest uh, honors for heroism and valor in battle. So this wasn't this wasn't for uh, keeping your uh, your bunk nice and neat. This was uh, this was some badass shit going on there.
0: And very very sadly too, the Purple Heart was not awarded to him until
1: 1992, under. Obama's administration. I I thought Bill Clinton was actually the first one. He was finally given – because again, of the prejudice that was going on in the army at the time, um, they actually told the – the US army told the French government, "Hey, calm down, giving away the awards and the uh, um, merits to uh, some of our black units because uh, it's not going to look good. By the way, that's the Purple
0: Heart, folks, that we're talking about—the one that you get for being injured by the enemy in service to your country. And we're still saying, I don't know if he really deserves it. So it's absolutely brutal, man. But you can look this up uh, if you want to give us a positive note to end on, Dad, for the Harlem Hellfighters here. Give us something to go home on—the idea that we're we're getting better and we uh, we need everybody. And though, you know, it, it might have taken a lot longer than it should have, but these heroes are finally being honored for the
1: service to our country something to take home with us yeah yeah what it took what took us so long i mean for (laughs) Christ's sake holy god i mean what does a man have to do to uh uh, prove his worth you Uh, didn't
0: die for your country right (laughs) yeah right right (laughs) uh um but i'll tell you guys what then uh lp i'm gonna sign off i know chris has to get out of here and i want to make sure we get this first episode out not our only topic for uh um black history month here involving uh, the african-american community in uh, in our great country so that being said, you guys know where to follow us on the show. I'm at KP Burke sucks over on Instagram, American Loser Podcast on Instagram. Please continue to check us out and support us on that thing if you guys want. Leave us a written review. It really helps out. I appreciate that. It bolsters us up in the rankings and the ratings. This is a blue-collar show. It only exists because of you. If you want to make a donation or join up for the exclusive bonus content, we give you three episodes for free every month. The fourth one, that costs you a little bit. For the cost of one cup of coffee, as low as $3 a month, you can go ahead and join our Patreon where we give you the fourth bonus episode. We we normally try to cover something a little bit more ambitious because that's for our serious hardcore listeners. So real quickly, thank you to Mike and Ming and Shared Universe. Thank you to Chris Cullen behind the ones and twos. Thank you to the Kahuna for telling us you weren't going to be here today. (laughs) (laughs) He's moving. Oops. We'll get him back in studio here eventually, although we do love getting to hang with Chris, man. Um, and uh, again, it's called Cullen on Film. If you guys want to check out our pal Chris's podcast, uh, he's got some good stuff on there, especially if you're a, a cinephile like myself. i to start season two. I, Se- I
1: consider that season one because I stopped, so season
0: two. Season two.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Soon to be uh, coming up. Uh, it's the truth. LP, anything on the way out? Uh, no, I just, I just thought it was very interesting that a lot of these guys joined up um, this unit to uh, prove their worth and to try to bring about some equality and be recognized as uh, equals. And uh, after the war, there was another famous uh, labor leader and civil rights leader, uh, Philip Randolph, that was uh, fond in saying to his audiences that the, uh, the Harlem Hellfighters, um, I wanted to congratulate you for doing your bit to make the world safe for democracy and unsafe <laughs> for hypocrisy. That's... A- <laughs> That's a line. That's, I thought that was a great That's
0: line. a line. Oh, man. That one was awesome, guys. That was the Harlem Hellfighters, and this was uh, uh, in honor of Black History Month, and uh, thank you so much. Uh, I refuse to call them American losers on this episode, but that's the end, folks. Thank you.
1: An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. Can't lose her the day I was born